Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of our e-commerce podcast and today I'm here with Sarah and she's the founder of Bell Fever and a very exciting story because she started this company more than a decade ago and uh, until now they've collected more than 23,000 customer reviews, happy customer reviews most importantly. So very exciting uh, story of this brand today. Hello Sarah, it's good to have Hi. you here. How are you? Thank you for having me. Very well, thank you. So let's start with, you know, with the beginnings. I'm really curious, uh, when did you start this brand? Why did you start this brand? Or And also, this is your first business or you tried different things before? Okay, well, for Bell Fever, um, we launched on Valentine's Day, so February 14 um, in 2012. Uh, Bell Fever, it's named after my daughter, Isabella, and um, it was due to like the frustrations I had with um, sterling silver being tarnishing. My skin is very acidic, so it just tarnishes sterling silver like, like very, very quick, very quickly. And mm-hmm. I've always wanted a name necklace. And when I finally got one in sterling silver, it tarnished. So I was very, very upset. And yeah, we, um, so we created our own with our own materials, which is a similar grade to titanium. And it, you know, the shine is so bright that a lot of people asked me about it when I was wearing it and it just became sort of a accidental business. But before this, before Bell Fever, we did try a few other um, businesses. So I've been mm-hmm. in event management, I've done um, mortgage broking, telemarketing, so a lot of whole other businesses. And yeah, so Bell Fever has been my longest business and yeah, it's just been growing from from then on. Yeah. So your background is not in the jewelry industry, right? Because uh, you know, many people they would think that uh, if you understand how to you know uh, make these products, then it's much easier. But your background is not actually in jewelry, right? Like uh, yes. Yeah, so my background wasn't actually in jewelry. My husband's family they they do create jewelry, but um, I wasn't really into jewelry. So mm-hmm. I, I just wanted a name necklace because um, it was just something personal that I wanted. And from there, when we created designs, we worked with a lot of customers and listened to what they what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And it was just that family connection, that personalized connection that you have with people. And that's what the jewelry has, that meaningful connection, which was something that drew me to to grow and create Bell Fever. Yeah, I understand. And uh, you mentioned this uh, thing with, with your skin. Is it something that you use in your value proposition or, or naturally nowadays? Is it, is it still a thing? Um, well, yeah, because there, there is still a lot of people who are allergic to sterling silver or even gold at times. So we, we, do, we do mention um, very strongly that our materials are materials that we've created ourselves. And we we formulated the the metals ourselves to make sure that it is, you know, hypoallergenic, it doesn't tarnish and it lasts for for a lifetime because we essentially want these personalized pieces to be given to generations. So it's an heirloom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What is your price point, by the way? I think that's really interesting in jewelry and really important because, you know, prices are, they are all over the place in jewelry. Like, you know, there are cheap items. I think we all know that. Here in Europe, we call it bijou. 
and uh, you know there are items with you know the sky's the limit really in jewelry so what's your price point so because we manufacture it and create it ourselves we try to make it as affordable as possible um, we're not like aiming for that high-end jewelry price and we we try to appeal to you know the the majority of people and it's more the emotional connection so our price point sits between um, we have charms that are like $29. So mm -hmm. anywhere from, I guess, $29 all the way to $150 um, okay. for like a more solid, bigger piece that, that holds more family names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, at the same time, as you said, you you um, make these products to last long. So it's not something mm -hmm. that just throw away, I don't know, a few months from oh, now. Yes. Yeah. No, but we've I'm had... Customers keep their pieces, yeah, for a very long time so that they can pass it on to their children. So we've had grandmothers pass it on to their grandkids. Mm. And, yeah, it's been it's been a family heirloom. And that's what we wanted to, to really promote, that it's a family heirloom that can be kept in the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's amazing. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm really curious uh, about this because you know, there are so many jewelry brands out there. It's one of the most popular niches in e-commerce, I would say. So what do you think, what differentiates you, why you are different? And you have more than 20,000 customers, so there must be a reason out there. What do you think is that? Well, I guess the difference is we, besides being personalized in the product itself, our service is also quite personalized. So we... We sit with customers online because um, we're purely online. So we sit with customers through, you know, messenger, through chat, through phone calls. We we um, we create a connection and a relationship with customers. So it's not just the personal product. Our our service is also personal, and it's not just before the sale, even after the sale, we are always there. So even if someone contacts us, you know, five years down the track, which we do have customers that do that, and they have, um, you know, uh, a new family member in their, in, in their family, and they want to add a name or things have changed and they want to change the inscription. So we're always there for them. And we always help to, to create that piece um, to match whatever their moment is in their life. Um, so I guess the, the difference is like we we want to make sure that it's not just um, a jewellery, a piece of jewellery. It's something that is connected to their life and has a lot of meaning and we want to make sure that they feel that even in our service to them. Yeah, and it really shows uh, me that you have a long-term thinking about this because I know so many business owners who just want to make the quick sale, you know, sell the product and then run, <laughs> almost yeah. run uh, with the money. But uh, yeah, it really tells me that you think about this long term and you yeah. act in that way. Was it always the case or maybe at the beginning you were less like this now? Like uh, we really want to nurture them and uh, reply to them even after five years if they purchased here before. Or maybe at the beginning you didn't really think about it. Um, well, it was always like that in the beginning because even like the customers that um, I personally spoke with as well, uh, I've been friends with some of them and mm -hmm. I've never met them physically, but I've been friends with them. And, you know, sometimes they send me gifts on Christmas as well or cards and I send them some stuff as well. So it's we've created that friendship and we still we still chat together 
And there's some customers that have purchased for all their families and um, all their friends. So it, it has been that way from the beginning because the business was created with relationships in mind. So it was one of the, the values, and I think it's also grown in the culture of our business, which is a good thing because yeah. the business has reflected a lot on my personality. Yeah, yeah. I think that's normal, in, especially in smaller businesses, right, uh, that the founder and the founder's personality, it really, it's really reflected in the brand and the culture of the company. So yeah, a lot of things uh, depend on the founder, especially at the beginning. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you are only online, so only e-commerce. And uh, I'm curious, how did you get started? How did you how did you grow at the beginning? Through friends or your network or, or you use something else? Uh, well, to be honest, it was, I think, sort of the earlier days of Facebook pages. And mm -hmm. I just created a Facebook page. And then um, from there, I... I connected with the communities that were online. Uh, yeah, a few of my friends, um, I invited a few of my friends into the, the page as well um, and family members. But I don't know, a lot of people will probably feel that way when they start a business. I think friends and family don't want to really uh, hear about your business too much. So it was more the communities online. And I think yeah, growing from there was really good because when you ask customers for feedback, it's different to when you ask family or friends. So they can be very blunt, some of them, what they'll tell you. Mm -hmm. So you know what you have to fix and you know what you have to grow. So it's just taking all that feedback on board and mm -hmm. working with that and sifting through what you what you really need to, to grow that business. Yeah. And this was before the age of Facebook ads, right? So back yeah. then. Facebook ads uh, were not available and Facebook was a very organic platform, Facebook pages. And uh, I remember back then some companies, some people, they sold Facebook pages for huge amounts because the audience yeah. was there. It's a bit like TikTok nowadays, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. And once you built up your uh, community there, then uh, did you start using paid channels? different ads, SEO, something else? What was the next? Yeah so, yeah, so after the Facebook page, we then created a website. And then from a website, um, we actually didn't get into ads when it first started. Um, we were more into the organic, like connecting with mm -hmm. a lot of communities, um, connecting with a lot of like organizations. We also sponsored and donated and we still do a lot of organizations as well so getting our name out that way as well and and um, creating relationships that way uh, but then I think around 2000 maybe around 2018 we started getting into ads so we did mm. uh, Facebook ads and we went into Google ads Google ads was a little bit later so Facebook ads was our biggest channel that we were focusing on And yeah, I just tried to learn about the platform. And because we already knew how it worked organically, we mm -hmm. sort of carried that across into the ads, into the ad side. And when it first started, it was, yeah, it was, it was very, very good. Yeah. Are you active on uh, TikTok, Instagram nowadays? Maybe Pinterest? Yeah. So we, we are active on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, we have a very strong organic presence as well. Like we make sure that we post, you know, three times a day on on mm -hmm. those channels um 
Pinterest, we also do ads as well, but also organic pins. And TikTok, at the moment, we're just doing organic, but we are extending to you know try out the ads and and see how that goes for us. But our biggest channel for ads is um, Facebook, Instagram, Google, and Pinterest. We did also try Snapchat, actually. So Snapchat um, also was a channel for us as well. Is it big in, uh, in Australia? Um, which one? Snapchat? Snapchat, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite big in Australia too. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, it's very interesting to see you started with organic and, you know, you spent several years without ads because that's a very common pattern I can see with uh, successful brands that um, they don't start with ads from day one or it's, it's rare mm -hmm. because organic is, you know, you put out your content and if it's good, then it will catch up. It will go viral. I mean, people yeah. will like it and uh, you can really test your ideas and uh until it doesn't work organically it's just waste of money to you know run ads on on that so um yeah i think organic is a bit of bit underrated still um, yeah. everyone think about paid ads from day one and i don't think it's always good to do that yeah so, it's true uh, let's talk about uh email chat platforms or even your support because you mentioned it so um, how do you use email marketing, maybe SMS, chat? I don't know if you do phone calls with your customers. Some companies, they do. So how do you use these channels after they purchase? Okay. Well, customers at the moment are omni-channel. So we've heard that everywhere. They, you know, they um, want to be able to contact businesses through different channels where they are and what's convenient for them at the time. So we mm -hmm. want to make sure that we are there for you know, potential customers, but also our current customers. Um, that's why we, we utilize all the channels. So we do phone calls to do follow-up phone calls, like we randomly call customers and see how, how they're doing. Um, is there anything that we can help with? Uh, does, you know, do they need help with any of their jewelry needs? Um, we also do SMSs to let them know if we um, have offers, but besides that, uh, also, communicate their order statuses with them. So every stage we actually message and email them um, while their jewellery is being made. Because it's handmade, you know, we we want to make sure that they are um, in contact with us all the time so they don't feel like, you know, we've just taken their money and run off. So we want them to be involved in the process as well. We want them to know how their pieces are made because of that connection. Um, so we, yeah, besides order updates, we also... Um, message them for some promotions that we have. Sometimes we create little online competitions or games and we want them to get involved in that. Um, yeah, email marketing is a big, big thing for us as well because sometimes uh, we have stories that customers share with us and they, they allow us to share it with others to see if someone else is going through that same thing and it might help them as well. So we share customer stories and um, I personally write an email every week to to our list uh, just to so they know who I am and um, my personality and the stories that customers have shared with me so I want to share it with them. So, yeah, we, we're on every channel um, available. Uh, as for chat, we do have an online chat, but we used to also have a chat bot. Um, but the chat bot wasn't, 
it's not personal enough. So we did drop it down to just use it for uh, mainly our games and um, interact, interacting with with uh, customers. So we would have, uh, like, if it was our birthday, we'd have a birthday game and the chatbot was able to just make it fun and interactive. So that's all we used it for really after that. Yeah. Is it on Messenger or on the website? Where do you use um, the chatbot? Oh, for the chatbot itself, the games, we did it um, through Messenger. So Facebook Messenger. Uh, we used uh, the ManyChat platform. Mm-hmm. And then... For our normal chat, our live chat, we we just use our own live chat service from our email. Yeah, makes sense. And uh, you are not the first one who's telling me this, that uh, it wasn't personal enough. Uh, To be honest, a few years ago, I expected much bigger things from chatbots, you know, like uh, AI and everything. And uh, I think slagging behind where it could be um how personal it could be so maybe in the future yeah yeah what were the biggest challenges for you to build this brand in the past 10 years i guess the biggest challenges for for me were like most business owners is um, i guess finding the time for everything to do everything Mm -hmm. I, i like to be ahead in schedule so I schedule everything in uh, just to make sure that, you know, I haven't forgotten something um, because like when you're running a business, there's always something that comes up in the day where you didn't plan for it. So I like to be um, ahead in schedule so that I can tackle those things when they come up. And plus there's also always um, urgent orders because we deal with uh, funeral homes as well. So during a funeral, people will need um, pieces very urgently. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I have time for that. So I schedule in everything in advance. Um, so, yeah, just finding the time to do everything can be quite overwhelming. Uh, that's usually my challenge. And, yeah, I guess um, on top of that is finding the right people, um, mm-hmm. you know, finding the right people that share your vision and share the values that you have in the company, Um yeah, we want to make sure that everyone who joins our company has the same vision and has the same values so that we don't, you know, we don't just hire anyone that that's just there to, you know, see it as a job or or anything like that. We want people, besides customers being connected with us um, emotionally and through a relationship, we want also our staff to be able to connect with each other and even the customers emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is uh, one of my favorite quotes. This is from, uh, I think, Richard Branson, that uh, your internal culture uh, is your brand uh, Mm -hmm. to your customers. Just the culture is inside and the brand is outside, right? Because the customers can see. But the two things are the same because it's all about values, what's your vision. And uh, once you have the right people on the board, the right employees, then they will talk to your customers in a way that it reflects your culture and uh, and brand. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what is your team set up at the moment? Um, do you have marketing people or, or, or support people? Um, I'm just curious, uh, how many people do you have? Now? Okay. Well, um, I guess our team is, everything is in-house at the moment. Uh, we work with a couple of contractors for a few things, like some advertising designs and some campaigns, like mm-hmm. for influencers. Um, however, most things like product design, paid social media, 
um, production of orders and even customer service is all done in-house. Um, we find that making sure that we have control over these important pulses and things um, in the business is essential because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we've we had many bad experiences with agencies before and um, it's probably not something that we're going to be looking at in a while. Um, but, yeah, we, we have everything in-house. So we have a customer service team. We have um, a marketing team. Uh, we have our production team and a tech team. So every, yeah, yeah. We, we hold everything in-house. Yeah, and I, I guess this is mostly because of the brand, right? You want, you want to keep it uh, coherent, like, you know, uh, having everything in one place and, uh, yeah, just everything very aligned. Uh, yeah. together mm -hmm. yeah, the values and the mission has to all be aligned and you know we mm -hmm. have meeting with the staff to make sure that mm -hmm. um, everyone always remembers what the vision is and yeah, just to connect with everyone because you know being online sometimes um, we only see each other every now and then mm -hmm. uh, so we just want to make sure that connection is still there and that yeah. they know that they're, they're cared for too yeah. Are you all in the same location or not really? Like, not even the same country? So I'm just curious uh, because I can see this with brand owners who want to keep things in-house, then they prefer, you know, everyone being very close to each other physically. Um, um, is, is it something you have as well or, or not? Well, we have a team in Australia, um, mm -hmm. but we do have... Uh, some staff that are overseas. So we have staff in, you know, the Philippines. We have staff in, um, in America. So we just we have staff all over all over the place in UK, New Zealand, um, and we just keep in touch online as well. Every now and then we actually do have a combined um, company trip. Before COVID hit, it was once a year. Um, so we'd meet in one in one country and have a company retreat, company um, trip, just to make sure that we have that connection still. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, being online, we still try to make sure we have that connection and um, have that engagement uh, with with everyone. Yeah, that's great. And I think uh, every company that is remote, they, they should have this at least once a year or maybe twice a year to meet because uh, it's yeah. something that you cannot replace. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I have only one more question to you. So what will you tell to those e-commerce, not founders, but future founders who, who, wants to, who want to start out, but, you know, something is missing or they are just uh, thinking about, you know, getting started? What would you tell them? I guess, um, like, I've, the advice that I was given before was to, jump off a cliff and build a plane build the plane um, on the way or something mm -hmm. um, that can be good but it doesn't mean you just jump in blind um, it's hard to say because I've learned a lot of lessons along the way and experience mm -hmm. is important so take on your mistakes and learn from each lesson uh, you know it'll help you to skill up and level up just like when you're you know playing a game you have to also skill up and collect you know tools on the way that will help you to level up and be able to use those tools you don't want to jump you know from level zero all the way to level 100 because you wouldn't even know how to use those tools 
So take on those lessons. And another thing is I know it's okay to ask advice from other business owners, um, but essentially your numbers, the numbers will always tell a story. Uh, that's one thing that I missed out in the earlier years. Um, I didn't look at my numbers, so I was just in a way running blind. Mm -hmm. And when I finally got to look at the numbers, it it will give you all the answers. This, it tells the story of where you're at, where you should go, what path you should go. So you have to know your numbers. Um, listening to advice from other business owners is is sometimes good and sometimes it can be bad because I've had other businesses sometimes tell me, oh, you know, I hate pop-ups on websites mm -hmm. and I'll never shop with a store that has pop-ups. But mm -hmm. my numbers say otherwise and that's why, you know, we, we have pop-ups. The numbers don't lie. They tell a story. Yeah. And if I listened to that advice and I just took off pop-ups, then I wouldn't have an email list and, you know, it would really affect our uh, our sales. So, um, yeah, my advice would be to hear the advice from other people but listen to the numbers. So, yeah, just hear what their advice is. Um, but essentially at the end of the day, listen to what your numbers are saying. Yeah, I think that's a solid advice, actually. Just this weekend, I had a talk with a friend of mine who wants to remove pop-ups on his website <laughs> because uh, that is a much bigger business owner and business that uh, he, he told him that he, they don't use pop-ups. Mm. Okay, I understand, but uh, your business is a different business. So yeah. <laughs> you can test it and let's see, but don't just blindly accept advice, even if someone is bigger than you. Mm. So Yeah. yeah. You just have to test everything because what works for one business will not work for another. There's some things that work in our business that don't work in other businesses. And there's some things that work in another business that doesn't work for us. So you just have to test it out, which is why sometimes, um, you know, when, when we have agencies pitch to us, and I've tried a lot of agencies, especially mm -hmm. for Facebook ads, they would come in turn off everything and then just slap in a funnel that they've created for, you know, they've, they've put for every other business and then it just tanks really badly. So, yeah, not everything is a, it's not a cookie cutter approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for sharing your story and sharing these insights with us today. And thanks everyone who watched this live stream on LinkedIn and Facebook or will uh, listen to the podcast. And uh, every week we come with uh, two episodes. So thanks again, everyone. And uh, stay tuned until the next episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me.